Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Let's talk sculpture, and let's talk about the $300,000 Southern Way McClelland Commission, which has just been announced. Joining me on the line is Lisa Byrne, the director of McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery. Lisa, a very good morning to you. Thanks very much, Richard. It's great to be here. So... Before we talk about kind of this award and the, the money involved, I wanted to kind of begin the conversation by just asking how significant are kind of commissions like this for sculpture artists and artists generally? It, it feels as if often the, the main opportunity for, in, for artists in Australia to create an ambitious work or a work of, of, of greater scale or, or kind of... Complexity than they might otherwise have is through a commission like this. Is that true, or am I getting my facts wrong? No, I would absolutely say that is correct, Richard. You're right on it with that. Um, this is a significant opportunity, and in fact, um, the commission starting in January. Uh, 2013 with the partnership with uh, Southern Way. Um, over 25 years, um, sees 14 works being commissioned at this scale and we were delighted this time with Southern Way's um, support to be able to actually extend the commission by 50,000 um, because of the way the commission's been set up with that um, private-public partnership. So it is definitely one of the big ones for nationally for sculpture. And the artist who's received the commission this year has just recently been announced. Manon Van Kuswick uh, is receiving the, the $300,000 to create um, a new sculptural commission that will sit alongside the Peninsula Link Freeway in, in Melbourne's That's southeast. Right. Yeah. At the Sky Road exit to um, McClelland. So um, this partnership was set up, as I said, when the road was opened, uh, the Peninsula Link, in January 2013. Um, Manon's work will be the fifth um, commission that we've had, starting with um, The Wonderful Tree of Life, followed by Rex Australis by Dean Coles, uh, Reflective Lullaby, Iconoclast, and then um, more recently Love Flower in November last year, and now we've just been able to commission Manon's work, uh, Peninsula Pearls. So those works alternate every um, two years, but they are on exhibition for four years, and then they come into the collection of um, McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. So we're delighted with that relationship, as you can imagine, because it adds to our um, sculptures in the park on a very large scale um, and continues to provide new work for our collection. And it also means that motorists have something which breaks up the monotony of the drive. And I wonder, are there kind of public health benefits in roadside sculptures of this nature? It must be very easy for drivers cruising down a freeway to, to for their mind to go into neutral and so they may not respond as quickly as they need to in the case of an, an emergency. Do, do large sculptural works like this placed beside freeways kind of actively kind of snap drivers out of that kind of that fugue state they might be in while, while driving along a freeway? Well, certainly that is the case and it is part of the consideration when we are choosing the work and when we then talk to the um, roads department of our government about the impact of the work and how it will be perceived because we do have to take into account the type of reaction drivers might have to the work when they see it and whether that is um, we have to mitigate any um, risk regarding to, you know, drivers being um, adversely impacted whilst they're also, you know, 
driving along the road at 100 kilometres an hour. So that is um, something that we definitely take into account. And certainly with this work by Manon, there is a certain element of visual play in the work um, where you approach it at 100 kilometres an hour and the work comes in and out of focus um, as a um, pearl necklace, effectively, when you... um, approach it to a certain point and then it dissolves into a sort of series of um, balls. But I'm not going into too much description because a big part of this commission is that we uh, build the expectation during the development phase and then we don't actually release any uh, visuals until it's installed, which will be in September next year. Now, uh, the artist uh, Manon von Kuswick, Dutch-born, based here in Melbourne, uh, and best known as a jeweller, which made uh, kind of made me intrigued as to this kind of progression from more traditional jewellery into a large sculpture like this. She said in her artist statement that she kind of will envisages the work as a sculpture that the Peninsula Link will be wearing for four years. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about uh, uh, Manon and uh, their practice. Sure. Well, we were delighted to have an application by a jeweller. Um, And in fact, if you think about public art more broadly, it is adornment of our landscape. So the connection with jewellery is is there um, as far as we're concerned in terms of sculptural practice. It's about the animation of our environment. And in this work, it's been wonderful to have a jeweller um, submit a work and consider how to change practice and and how we think about sculpture um, as a spatial practice more broadly in the 21st century um, and sort of evolve the definition of sculpture from sort of modernist traditions of sculpture being, you know, just an object in in space. Wonderful works, but it's always good to be able to evolve mediums and for artists to be working across in a cross-disciplinary way. And after the the four-year kind of placing uh, at the at the freeway, as you said, it then comes to McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery and is added permanently to the collection. It is indeed. So um, at the moment um, we have, uh, well, all of the uh, former works are in the park except for Reflective Lullaby, which was Gregor Kregor's wonderful big um, stainless steel reflective gnome, uh, also lovingly known as the chrome gnome and a few other things by our local community. Um, He's um, gone on display down in um, the Frankston um, Central Business District for a little while um, for the community to enjoy for a bit longer before he comes back into the park for our visitors to enjoy. So we um, see this as a really strong way of promoting an appreciation for sculpture and, and the relationship of public art and environment in the local community context context because um, we work closely with um, Frankston City Council to um, you know help them with their focus on sculpture as well which is something that they've designed they've, they're working on more and more excuse me into the future about being a city of sculpture um, based on the seaside and in connection with um, McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery's 50-year history in, in the local community. Now the park and gallery is located um uh, down at Langwarren, so still within the Melbourne metropolitan region. We are indeed, and in fact, I think most people get quite a shock that we are literally 45 minutes door to door from um, Melbourne CBD to when you come through our gates um, at McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery in Langwarren. So we're right, we're two minutes off the um, Peninsula Link at either the Sky Road or the Cranbourne Road exit. So very simple to come down and have a wonderful walking in the park. Unfortunately, at the moment, of course, um, we are closed, but we're working very um, hard to be open in spring um, this year um, and with the recent resurgence and um, 
going back into lockdown, we'd made the decision early that we thought spring would be the most likely time that we would be able to reopen both the park and the building. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see as um, the you know public health guidelines roll out over the coming month or so. We'll, we'll certainly see if they, and fingers crossed they are eased, because certainly once uh, venues are allowed to reopen, uh, the idea of strolling around a sculpture park and gallery strikes me as a very safe way to uh, go out and return to viewing art, because it's outdoors, there's fresh air, and you can much more easily keep physical distance from people while socialising together, walking around the park and, and looking at the sculptures down there at Langwarren. Yes, that's um, foremost on our mind at the moment and we're working on quite a lot of programming we hope to be able to develop in the park over the summer for that very reason um, and developing sort of outdoor um, dining experiences and food and beverage offered so that people can maximise the use of the park and the sculptures, spend time with their family. Um, you know, there's been so much research about the value of arts and cultural and our museums and galleries in terms of our wellbeing, our health and places where people feel safe to come back to. Um, and so there's certainly lots of that circulating now in terms of um, the gallery networks and directors' networks and things like that. There's lots of um, focus on it. Um, we've even been running a Inspired Minds program online, which is a meditation series based around some of our major sculptures in the works that um, just provides a bit of an opportunity for people to engage with the works that they know and love so much and just have a bit of time to contemplate and, um, you know, do a meditation. So we've um, partnered with the... Um, a group called um, Mind Room to deliver that, and we were very, very delighted to be able to do it. And in also recently hearing our Arts Minister and also our um, Health Minister, Martin Foley, talking about the relation, you know, the connections of um, suicide deaths with relation to COVID deaths to date, and the suicide death rate is just astronomically higher. It's um, very concerning for us all. Well, if uh, once McClelland reopens, getting out, engaging with art, culture, friends in the fresh air will certainly, I'm sure, be a tonic for many people's mental health. I think health. it's really important, yeah, very yeah. important to see people out and about and connecting with one another and talking about art and talking about their environment that they live in. It's really important. It all anchors us, I think, as people. For more info about McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery, located down in Langwarren, www.mcclellandgallery.com. Uh, and I've been talking to Lisa Byrne, the director of McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery. Lisa, just before I let you go, given that, as we've said, the announcement about Manon Van Kuswick uh, being awarded the $300,000 Southern Way McClelland Commission has just recently been announced, when will the sculpture be installed so that people can drive past and see it? Uh, it will be installed in spring next year. So installation uh, begins in September 2021. And um, depending on the weather, that's the biggest impact we find on how installation goes. Uh, it can be quite wet at that time of year, but generally it's um, all up and operating and we will launch around mid-October. I look forward to jumping in a friend's car and convincing them to drive me down. <laughs> Wonderful, Richard, indeed. Maybe we can come back and have a chat about it when we, when we can see it. That would side. be fun. That would. Lisa Byrne, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. Thanks so much, Richard. All the best. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I'm joined on the line now by my next guest, 
Spiro Economopoulos is the program director of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, which was one of the very first festivals to be adversely impacted by the bans around public gatherings uh, because of COVID-19. On Sunday, the 15th of March, uh, just I think about five days into the, the, uh, the 2020 festival, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival 2020, unfortunately, had to be kind of called off. Spiro, that must have been kind of incredibly heartbreaking for you and the team who'd been working for months and months to pull a really high program, fest uh, high quality program together. Hi, Richard. Yeah, look, you know, as, as you would know as well, like, you know, we, you know, we spend, you know, like about a year sort of working on the festival, getting it up to that. And obviously this year was our 30th as well. And so um, we were kind of uh, sort of aiming for a celebration rather than what ended up happening. So it was pretty pretty devastating. And I think, uh, you know, we all kind of uh, took it hard. But I think once, you know, the whole pandemic started rolling out and in the scheme of things, you know, we kind of saw this was a, a really huge thing. And at the end of the day, you know, the decision to cancel was the right thing to do in terms of everyone's kind of health and safety. But, yeah, it sucked. The good news is, though, that you've had the opportunity uh, because, I guess partially because of what people are calling the great pause that we're all living through, the opportunity to pause, reflect, kind of, and regather your strength uh, in order to go, well, we've got these films, how can we present them differently so that they can still be watched and seen by an audience? So you've come up with MQFF Online, which is happening this weekend, Friday the 17th to Sunday the 19th of July. Obviously, watching a film on your couch with your partner or your flatmate uh, or kind of whoever you live with, maybe your cat if you live on your own, it's not the same as the communal community experience of seeing a film in the cinema, but it's still a great way to make sure that these films are being seen, which is how films live, by being viewed, by being placed in front of people's eyeballs so that they live on. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning, obviously, I think particularly for a queer film festival, um, you know, the challenge was uh, doing something online, specifically because you know, our festival is so much about that community experience and people coming together in a shared space and watching queer film together. I think it's, you know, I think MQFS is very specific in that way. So I think when we started talking about online, we were like, what's this going to be like, you know, and is this you know, is this going to be embraced and is it going to work? But I think we've tried to replicate that festival experience as much as we can. We've, you know, we've tried to sort of time it and sort of encourage people to do, like, watch parties and try and watch things together if they can as well. And we've kind of scheduled a couple of things that way also. And you're right. I mean, uh, I mean, I sort of look back at my program every year, and I think you know, so many of those films you never get to see again. Basically, they they don't end, all end up on streaming services or in cinemas. And sometimes this is you know an opportunity to see films that you might not see again. And I think particularly for Australian film, I was really keen to get our Australian shorts um, up online. Uh, you know, this is a really hard time for queer filmmakers, and I think. You know, you've got to sort of be able to support them as much as we, as we can and, you know, get their films out there. Well, let's start by talking about the Australian shorts then uh, in terms of kind of exploring the program. <coughs> Excuse me. It's... Uh, um What's the, the zeitgeist that these films have responded to? Is there an identifiable theme that you could pick out amongst any of them in terms of what they're dealing with? Or are they just a, a really strong collection of contemporary Australian queer stories? 
I think it's it's exactly that. I think what's great about the Australian Showcase in particular, um, and it's always so popular at the festival for that reason, is that it's just it's really diverse. You know, there's a, a diverse um, group of voices and stories and representation, and I think that is the kind of key element to that program. And I think it kind of brings a lot of different kind of people together for that reason as well. I think the queer experience and that queer story is really diverse and it isn't just one and I think the Australian Shorts is a great opportunity to kind of show where all that's sort of coming from what younger queer filmmakers are thinking about, what that older generation is kind of grappling with it's a it's a constant kind of flux and I think it's always really exciting to see that all come together and you know the deciding factor about all those films getting in that Australian Shorts program is that you know they obviously have to kind of meet a certain standard of you know, excellence and, and quality as well. In terms of the filmmakers who, are, who have uh, made the films, which are screening as part of your, your Australian shorts package, often short films are seen by some in the industry as this is where kind of young filmmakers cut their teeth in the same way that short stories are sometimes considered a, an inferior form to the novel. You, you learn your craft in a short story, then you move on to a novel. You learn your craft on a short film and then move on to features. Is that still the case with the filmmakers who have made these shorts or, or are some of them quite experienced filmmakers who enjoy the challenge of trying to tell a complex story in such a comp, uh, kind of compact form as a short film? I think um, there's a few of the filmmakers in the shorts package that have actually had shorts at our festival in the past and at other festivals, so this is not their first time. One, one, of, that, one of the filmmakers, I think this is their third one, actually. But I think it's a bit of both. Uh, filmmakers, uh, you know, the, the short format is a, a great kind of stomping ground and it's kind of learning space for filmmakers to kind of, you know, develop their craft, find their voice. I think the short format really lends itself to that. And it's also, and you know, it can be really a really immediate format and, and sort of way to tell a story. You know, filmmakers, you know, want to, you know, want to be current, want to be kind of creating. And I think sometimes, you know, making a short film is a, is an easier way to kind of go ahead doing that than you know getting a feature up, for example. So I think it's it's a combination of a lot of different things. But yeah, more often than not, this is it's always really exciting to see who these people are going to. Be you know this is obviously the the breeding ground for your next big filmmaker basically. What's also exciting every year about the Melbourne Queer Film Festival program is seeing films coming in from different corners of the world. And uh, when I was involved as a program with the Melbourne Queer Film Festival many, many years ago now, the, the challenge was to find films that didn't come from the UK, the USA or Canada. Uh, in uh, recent years, say 10, 15 years ago, we began to see this magnificent wave of queer films coming out of uh, Latin America and South America, for example. Uh, uh, one of the films you've programmed this year is a Nigerian film which is exploring the, the conflict between homosexuality, religion, love and community and, and so important for, for us here in kind of certainly speaking for myself as a kind of white middle-class cisgendered male to be able to see the and, and uh, empathise with the experience of uh, uh, the, the queer community in Nigeria. Uh, so valuable to have a film like Walking With Shadows programmed. And as you said, this is not the kind of film that's going to be picked up by, by Netflix or Stan. Absolutely, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's so exciting uh, where those voices, queer voices, are coming from at the moment. And as you were saying before, you know, Latin America, Argentina, all these 
great kind of places where, and it's not sort of directly North America anymore. And I think as a programmer, that's really exciting because you're you're kind of getting to see all these you know these new voices and stories that you don't usually see. And I think for um, audiences that is exciting as well. Walking with Shadows, um, yeah, it's a really interesting film. And I think actually as well, um, what's really good about it is that, you know, generally that story, which is this is about a, a closeted married Nigerian man and the ramifications um, that his force coming out essentially um, has on his, you know, wife, family and community. But I think what's really good about this film is that it also focuses on um, the wife's experience of it. And I think more often than not, that story is, you know, for obvious reasons, I think kind of told through the the you know protagonist kind of coming out journey, but I think the film also spends a lot of time looking at um, his partner's kind of experience with it, and, and it's actually really interesting the the journey that she takes in the story as well. Now your kind of uh, opening night film, so to speak, uh, for this uh, uh, Melbourne Queer Film Festival online experience running from the seventeenth to the nineteenth of July, uh, the documentary X Y Chelsea about Chelsea Manning. Yeah, that's a that's a, a fascinating um, documentary as well. I think uh, what's really interesting about it is that it looks at it's very much about the kind of the spotlight of the media on this particular person, particularly a person who has come under a lot of scrutiny, who just kind of got out of prison, who was transitioning, and it's very much about that kind of that kind of strain that that has on this um, this particular person as they navigate these really kind of complex things, and it's a it's very intimate and a really interesting kind of portrait of this um, this um, this person. It's really fantastic. Now, there's also um, a lesbian romance from the Philippines. There's a science fiction film from Argentina. Brief story from the Green Planet, which sounds kind of really intriguing as well, and in, in which somebody discovers their grandma has been sheltering an alien. Um, so, rather than run through all those remaining films, obviously people can jump online to see program details. MQFF.com. .au. But Spiro, let's talk uh, about how this works uh, in terms of buying a, a pass or buying an individual ticket to see these films online. You must have had to obviously do a bit of careful negotiating, A, with the filmmakers to say, we want to show your work online, give us permission to do so. Is there geo-blocking involved? Can these films only be seen in Melbourne, in Victoria, in Australia? And how can people actually watch them? Yeah, look, it was it was a bit of a delicate conversation. I think obviously, you know, this is new territory for everybody. You know, for distributors, sales agents, festivals, filmmakers, and we're all sort of you know learning as we're going along and trying to adapt. And so, you know, some people are a little bit nervous about online. Some some filmmakers embraced it. We tried to create. Uh, festival experience as much as we could. Um, that was kind of the idea going into it. But also we know that people are so used to streaming services and the flexibility of that, so we had to kind of keep that in there as well. We've, we've, def- we've deliberately geo-blocked it to Victoria. It's, it's a Melbourne-only event. Um, the films are available. Uh, the flexibility of it is that you buy a ticket. You don't have to, you know, log into your MQFF membership, for example. You just literally press buy and you get taken to the portal to either buy your individual ticket or a pass for the whole thing. And you've got a, a time period to watch it in that's not limited by, you know, a 90-minute window, for example. So you've got the flexibility of watching that 
when you have the time as well because, as I said, you know, people are so used to, you know, that's the joy of, you know, a Netflix or a stand. So, I mean, we really wanted to kind of keep both of those factors kind of playing alongside each other and hopefully make it as easy as possible for people to um, log in and watch. Well, certainly the ticket prices are very affordable, having looked at... Uh, I, I so. won't name the festival, but another <laughs> festival that it recently launched its online program. I was a little surprised at the prices they're yeah. charging for tickets, given the kind of... The, the the kind of low dollar value of str other streaming services. So if people want to see uh, films at Melbourne Queer Film Festival online, uh, which is running over the 17th to the 19th of July, a full pass is just $35 for all the films in the shorts package or $30 if you're an NQFF member uh, or if you have a concession. Uh, and the prices for individual films are just $8 per film or $7 for concession and NQFF members, which means if you think you only have the attention span for one film or for the shorts package, which I would definitely recommend. If you're thinking about just watching one part of the program, then the Australian shorts, great way to see up-and-coming filmmakers and, and contemporary Australian queer stories. But otherwise, yeah, buy that $35 pass and settle down on the couch with your popcorn, your best mate kind of texting you or, uh, or, or Skyping with you so you can watch them together. Uh, and you can use the hashtag... MQFF online if you want to join in the conversation about the films on social media, which I'm, I'm always intrigued, Spiro. I don't know if this works for you as well, but I often get home from watching a film at a festival and jump online and go, what are other people saying about it? Oh, totally, yeah, and I think that's kind of a, the pleasure of maybe having that kind of online conversation. It's the only time I'll allow people talking during a movie, so I'm, I'm figuring, you know, this is your opportunity to you know, kind of, you know, talk away, and I think that kind of dialogue um, is actually really interesting sometimes, and, yeah, I'm completely like that. I'll just watch a film, and then the first thing I do is just kind of go on and start reading about it. For more info and to book tickets for the MQFF online, jump online, www.mqf.com.au. I've been talking to the Program Director of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, Spiro Economopoulos, the uh, MQF online running this weekend the, uh, from Friday the 17th to Sunday the 19th of July. Spiro, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolute pleasure and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. You bet. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Uh, I'm joined on the line by my final guest for the morning, Mr Simon Abrahams, the creative director and CEO of Melbourne Fringe. He's been a guest on the program a couple of times because Melbourne Fringe just keeps announcing stuff and doing stuff. Not, a, not happy to have just one festival this year, later on in the year. Simon, Melbourne Fringe have decided to have a little bit of a mini-fest happening from the 31st of July through to the 2nd of August. That's right, uh, Richard. Funny enough, you mentioned cassettes. We have uh, created what we're calling the VCR Fest, uh, which, of course, stands for the Virtual Common Rooms, which is uh, our venue at Trades Hall. And we've created a, a second mini three-day festival happening at the end of the month. Um, that celebrates all the all the art and the work that we do in that venue um, year round uh, before we head into our big festival as usual, uh, but this year in November. So two festivals for us this year at Melbourne Fringe. So keeping yourselves busy, pretty much. There's no slacking off in ISO for the Fringe team. Absolutely not. And I think uh, we just felt that um, obviously audiences needed um, art right now and. Uh, 
because that's what we do, we do run a venue all year now. And so uh, I guess we felt that that important work that we were doing wasn't being able to uh, reach an audience um, of course, because the venue at Trades Hall is closed. So we wanted to celebrate everything that it is that, that we do in that venue um, by putting that together into a, a three-day digital festival um, that, that celebrates, uh, I guess, Melbourne's independent art sector. Uh, and then we're, we're sort of testing a, a whole lot of new digital content and ways of working as well. Now, one of the things that intrigued me about this is it's not just um, people dusting off existing material, for example. You've got the award-winning comedian Zoe Coombsma creating a brand new work which is specifically created for VR Fest and presumably specifically created, therefore, to be seen online rather than just adapting a, an existing stand-up routine. Yeah, that's exactly it. We, we didn't want to just put a camera at the back of the room and hope for the best. We're working with artists who really think digital first. And Zoe Kumsma, of course, is uh, a genius. She's um, such a, a kind of iconic uh, independent artist who um, thinks in such interesting ways that um, I just, you know, asked her if she wanted to create something new and, and she said yes. But um, I'm super excited that, that she'll premiere a new work uh, for us, but as you say, it's, it's specifically designed for the screen. So it, it will um, it will engage for a, a digital audience in in a really exciting way. So I, I'm I'm pretty thrilled to have Zoe Kuzma uh, on the bill. Now, other people involved with the festival, such as the uh, dance artist, uh, First Nations dance artist Joel Bray, he's adapting his. Uh, critically acclaimed work, which I saw and missed it in its original Fringe incarnation and saw at the Darwin Festival, uh, Belladarung. He's doing Belladarung 2.0. It's traditionally performed in a hotel room in this kind of intimate environment in which the audience are invited in and seated around the room and Joel will kind of interact, connect, touch, massage, offer champagne for, etc. So I'm really intrigued to see how he's adapting Belladarung 2.0, the, uh, his kind of a very deeply personal story about himself and his Wiradjuri heritage, how he will adapt this for a, a, a live-streamed version. Yeah, look, this is a really... Um, I guess this is a really important special work for me um, because when Joel sort of knocked on my door um, in, in 2017, he'd never made a, a work before. And, of course, this show went on to be the absolute hit of Melbourne Fringe and uh, has since toured, as you say, around the country, um, internationally and done a, a number of return seasons. But because it has such a small capacity, so many people still have never seen it. Um, and so he will create, as you say, this, this live-streamed digital version from the hotel room. Um, and for those who, who haven't seen the work, it is a work about intimacy. And so the camera will be used in that way, the, the kind of voyeuristic um, eye uh, to see inside this hotel room as he, as he tells this story directly to you. And, and he's working in some really clever ways to, to build in a, a, a sense of interactivity um, you 
using some digital elements as well. So he's very, very clever and uh, will be able to get that sense of intimacy um, even, even through the camera. Now, one of the things that intrigues me about the program for VR Fest, which is Melbourne Fringe's kind of uh, virtual common room celebration of their venue at Trades Hall on from Friday the 31st of July through to Sunday the 2nd of August, you've got this broad range of work. So um, Joel's Belladerung 2.0 that we were just discussing, it Yes, there's kind of moments of humour and joy and delight, but it's also a sombre work in places. It's it's powerful um, and certainly kind of moving and intimate, as you say. Zoe, we've said, a stand-up comedian creating a brand-new work, Born Slippy, which is a little bit lecture, a little bit comedy, a little bit stream of consciousness. But so this broad range of work. And then in between, you've got cabaret, you've got kind of a dance party, you've got... Um, Kind of what Lou Wall supplying a, a kind of variety event, uh, fringe roulette. So really trying to give the the breadth of the fringe experience from kind of moving and potent to hilarious and heartfelt and everything in between. That's it. And I think we wanted to celebrate uh, the diversity of the fringe community. There's a, a fantastic um, kind of uh, very energetic noise pop duo cry club um, that's a fantastic queer um, music act as well. I think we really wanted to be able to um, make sure that the, the fringe community felt connected and that the diversity of um, our, our fringe artists could, could be seen. So Gather and Kiefer, um, Fantastic Drag Kings, uh, the Game Boys uh, do this brilliant interactive um, live comedy work that um, really is screen first. The, the digital um, uh, kind of visual effects um, are pretty extraordinary when they're literally doing it from their living room and you, you kind of wouldn't, wouldn't believe it to, to look at it. So um, we really kind of wanted to work with artists who understood how to use, um, you know, engage their community um, even, even from their homes or some of them will be live from, from our venue at Trades Hall as well. Now, Simon, I, I'm curious to know how kind of people register for this event and what the ticket prices are, because the challenge of making putting anything online, we've seen a lot of artists putting their work out there for free, which then kind of the risk is that audiences will be trained to expect all digital work to be free. Conversely, we're seeing uh, ticketed events for Melbourne uh, Digital Concert Hall, for example, which have been uh, reasonably priced and they, for example, uh, say that if you kind of pay, I think it's an extra $2 or something, you will be supporting the stage crew, the backstage crew, as well as the artists themselves. So how is uh, Melbourne Fringe's VR Fest being ticketed and how is it accessed in terms of do you book online? Is it streamed for free? What's, what's, give us the dirt. Oh, good question. Look, I think it's a, we're at a really interesting time to work out how to do this, and, and people are trying all sorts of different things. I felt very strongly that that artist needed to be paid in this program, um, and so we didn't want to make the work free um, uh, and couldn't afford to do that, obviously. So uh, we also didn't think that necessarily a completely pre-ticketed model was the way to go either. Um, there's so many barriers to access to that as well um, and so much free content online. So we've gone for a system where you register now, um, you can book yourself in and guarantee you a spot, uh, you then get to see the work, um, and at the end of the work, um, you will get asked to pay what you feel 
the the show was worth. Um, and you can pay whatever you like, but I believe um, that people will um, value the, the work that artists have done. I believe that um, uh, people will see value for money because I know the program is good. So I know that when people see the work, they're, they're going to be happy to pay um, for an experience. They can pay five bucks. Um, you know, my hope is that people might pay the kind of ticket price they might have paid in person. Um, and maybe people will be willing to pay, you know, 20, 25, 30 bucks. But you can pay whatever you like. You can, as I say, five bucks, if that's all you can afford, that's absolutely fine. And, and we really want, um, want people to uh, value the work of artists and, and to understand that um, these things aren't, aren't free and they, they do come at a cost. And, and right now, um, the independent arts really is suffering. And, and so we need our community to, to step up and support artists as well. So Melbourne Fringe's second festival for the year, which uh, in, in Fringe style is happening before their first festival. Rules, what are they? Uh, so VR Fest, presented by Melbourne Fringe, is happening uh, from... Hosted out of the Fringe Common Rooms, which is Fringe's year-round venue, which obviously currently is kind of in lockdown. Uh, but VR Fest 2020, happening from Friday the 31st of July, Saturday the 1st of August, through until Sunday the 2nd of August. Go to melbournefringe.com.au for details. And I really like this idea of book now, pay later, and as you say, Simon, pay what you think the work you have seen is worth, which some comedians might be taking a risk there. If people hate it, uh, kind of, eh, they may not get much. But if they love it, as you say, there's that opportunity to go, I would normally pay 35 bucks for see, to see a show of that quality. Bang, there's the money. That's exactly it. Fringe is always a gamble. So, we're, you know, we're willing to, to take the risk. Um, I wanted to make sure that it was accessible to anyone. I understand that lots of people are without work or having a difficult time from an audience perspective. So I didn't want anyone to be priced out of, an amazing cultural experience. But as you say, those that can afford it, um, I know they'll come to the party and um, will pay what, whatever they think it, it will be worth. I know it's a good program and uh, I'm, I'm not worried. <laughs> Jump online for full program details, melbournefringe.com.au, and to find out how you can book and see works from the likes of Zoe Coombsmar, Ruben Kay, Joel Bray, uh, Andrew McClelland, Lou Wall... Victoria Falconer-Pritchard and many, many more wonderful artists. I've been chatting with Simon Abrahams, the Creative Director and CEO of Melbourne Fringe. Simon, lovely to chat to you once again and keep up the good work supporting Melbourne's independent artists. Thanks, Richard. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the art, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs> <laughs>